Hello and welcome to the Artsy Podcast, or should I say the Artsy Podcast Extra because we have something a little special for you today. But before we get into this week's show, just one quick favor to ask of you listeners. If you have the time, please uh, rate and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. If you're really feeling generous with your time, leave us a little written feedback. We'd love to hear from you. All right, let's get into it. Freeze London and Freeze Masters, two of the art calendar's most important art fairs, have kicked off this week in London. Summer's officially over. The art world is uh, back in full swing. And we're speaking with Alexander Forbes, our very own deputy editor, who is on the ground in England and can tell us a little bit about what's going on there. Hey, Alex. Hey, Isaac. How's it going? Good. So um, just to make it clear, I'm, I'm calling Alex from New York. So maybe you can uh, tell me a little bit about uh, how things are in, in London. We're all very jealous that we're not there. London's great. Um, it's it's a lot sunnier than it was last year, which is always a plus. Um, get to enjoy the, the Freeze Sculpture Park um, a lot drier um, than it was in 2015. Um, the fair kicked off yesterday, you know, 300 galleries across two tents on either side of Regent's Park. So it's a lot to cover in one day. Um, I'll, I'll confess I haven't gotten back to the fair yet today. Um, but uh, all, all told, pretty high spirits considering um, where the market's at currently in Brexit. The slightly less popular Theresa May um, having announced just before Freeze kicked off. Uh, the timeline that Brexit would start in March 2017. So certainly that's on people's minds, but um, but all told, you know, upbeat as as upbeat as it can be. And for those of our listeners who don't read The Guardian, Theresa May is the Prime Minister of uh, Great Britain. So yeah, can you can you maybe tell us a little bit about um, which something you alluded to, which is kind of how people are feeling both about the British economy and the art market coming in coming into freeze, which is really the first you know, humongous fair uh, after after a summer lull? Yeah, I mean, I think the name of the game across the art market this whole year, um, but particularly right now, um, as we're, you know, less than a month out from the U.S. presidential election, um, is uncertainty. Um, people don't really know what's going to happen with the economy. There are a lot of um, factors to that. Um, and so I think you know, from a buying perspective, certainly not the time that people are, you know, shelling out vast sums of money um, without really thinking much of it, because um, I think probably everybody's financial advisors are, are telling them to just, you know, hold steady for a minute. Let's see what happens in November. Let's see um, as we have these conversations around Brexit, whether it will be a, a soft Brexit, as people thought, or a hard Brexit, as um, as Theresa May was was kind of suggesting with some fairly xenophobic rhetoric. Um, earlier this year, meaning that um, they wouldn't let immigration regulations um, loosen in the interest of being part of the single market of Europe. So um, definitely on people's minds here. Um, nonetheless, I think, you know, for the art market specifically, um, these things don't have, you know, necessarily direct correlations, um, as, you know, Don Thompson wrote a great article for us. Um, following Brexit, where you know there are certain things where people here say, "Well, hey, um, you know, if I didn't have to pay the artist resale royalty, which is something that's up in the air, if if um, the UK is to leave the EU, um, they wouldn't necessarily be beholden to that regulation. Um, that could be a good thing for galleries. On the other hand, I think there's a general sense of just a bit like downtroddenness, um, especially because." London was was very 
pro staying in the EU. Um, so hearing a lot of people saying that, you know, the biggest the biggest shock has just been feeling like their country um, has left them behind. Right. Yeah. And, and I know that um, obviously the art world was was super pro um, remaining in the EU. So I'm just are these sort of feelings manifesting on the ground at the fair? What's what's what are the vibes actually like uh, across these tents? I think it was surprisingly upbeat, um, particularly at Freeze London yesterday. Freeze Masters, um, which is a fair for for older art, um, you know, which older these days means made before two thousand, um, but older art nonetheless, and has generally a, a much more subdued vibe. Um, but at Freeze London, I, I was very surprised to see how many, you know, more or less anybody I could think of was there. Um, wasn't sure that that was going to be the case. Um, people were happy, though. I know a, a number of kind of major collectors that I ran into were also not um, by any means kind of rushing off to buy something. Um, you know, some people said that they hadn't really done much preparation, which to me would indicate that uh, that they weren't really there to, to spend a lot of money, but, you know, maybe going through the motions a little bit, seeing their friends, um, connecting, figuring out where, where what the, some of the artists that they currently collect are up to these days. Um, and, you know, I think generally last night as sales figures were, were starting to roll in, um, seemed like though you know i haven't had a chance to go and, and really put them back to back but seemed like kind of less um overall both in terms of the the highest numbers you know you're not seeing many seven figure works um on the freeze london side going um there were there were a couple um but you know just in general less sales overall um than we've seen in the past um, you know, that may change as, as time goes on, but I, I would imagine that we will, uh, it, it'll be a, you know, pretty demure kind of freeze week. Yeah. Wh- which artists would you say, or which categories of artists are benefiting or hurting from, from what you call a, a demure, uh, a demure market? I mean, I think the most noticeable one, um, at freeze has been on the emerging sector. You know, everybody's mind is still on that. Uh, Philip sale from a couple weeks ago, uh, where you know some prices were down ninety percent. You know, obviously this doesn't necessarily affect the primary market as much as it would on the secondary market because most of those prices wouldn't have changed. Um, but walking around the fair's focus section, which is uh, focused on young artists, um, you know, it was kind of funny that more or less all of the ones that that were particularly interesting had been around for a few years. I think they'd been in. Most of them had been in one or another of our kind of emerging artist packages um, somewhere along the time there. So you know, you're definitely seeing the galleries are not able to necessarily bring out the number of new artists that they have in the past, um, whether that's due to just there not being new collectors coming into the market, adding in more money, um, and thus kind of creating more space and, and economic opportunity for, for new artists to come in and be tested, um, or, you know, due to other factors. Um, you know, I think on the flip side of that, you know, there's all been this kind of continual conversation around the flight to quality and, and whatnot um, on the more established side of the market. And you definitely, I guess, still see that. Um, although I kind of am of the mind that that probably is happening most of the time that serious collectors are always buying serious works and um, the froth is what gets paid attention to during the, during the most... Uh, you know, fervent times like we had in, in 2013, 2014, and before the 2008 collapse. Um, but where, you know, there were some interesting things to see is I think, you know, definitely you're seeing here, um, as you're seeing 
elsewhere in the market, a kind of reappraisal, a sifting through to see what um, art history is missed um, and where there might be some kind of opportunities for for arbitrage if you want to, you know, take it in that very financial uh, kind of outlook or just generally opportunities to acquire much more kind of art historically significant work um, for a much lower price than you would for, say, a white male who has been you know, canonized uh, for some time. Are there any artists or booths that jump to mind um, that illustrate that that kind of inclination that you, you just mentioned? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, one of my favorite things that I saw yesterday was the solo booth of Carol Rama, um, who's an Italian artist showing with Isabella Bartolozzi Gallery from Berlin. Um, Rama was a, she's, she's deceased, but um, she was a very kind of important artist in the Italian art world um, for some time, but only really in the past few years has gotten international recognition. Um, she had a traveling retrospective that the gallery helped organize and really helped recontextualize um, her place within kind of global art history. The work is just awesome. It's that she spans from these um, you know, very figurative, kind of slightly inspired by Picasso um, portraits um, from, I think there's one from that was made even when she was as, as young as 20. Um, and they look really fresh, like, you know, obviously the paint is cracked, but um, they they look like some of the things that you would see in focus that uh, of, of some of the young female figurative painters that um, we've also profiled on, on Artsy. Um, but then she also worked, you know, in a very kind of constructivist way. She was part of this uh, mostly male-dominated constructivist group for, for a little bit. Um, and then ended with these um, series of what she called wedding dresses. She hadn't gotten married, um, but she had this kind of feminist period in the in the 80s where she was uh, embroidering onto, in the case of the one on the booth, um, a long sweater with a, you know kind of embroidered female genitalia on there, mm-hmm. which was really just you know it's an incredible swath of work and really really phenomenal artist that I think you know for most people until recently hasn't been really out there. Um, and, you know, I think there's a number of examples of this um, that, you know, I think talking to a lot of people yesterday, um, especially a lot of um, women dealers, you know, people trying to come back and, and push back against the kind of pervasive sexism that's been in the art world for so long. Um, you know, it's saw a great solo booth of um, Prince by Annie Albers, who was Joseph Albers' wife. She's a phenomenal textile artist who was also very important in the Black Mountain College. And yet the work can be had for less than 3,000 pounds, which, you know, by by freeze standards and by kind of historical work standards is very, very cheap. So turning away a little bit from um, the market dynamics, I'm, I'm, we're just all jealous that we didn't get to we don't get to see the booths because, we're, you know, I'm looking at a at a Marina's uh, who's our editor in chief's uh, best booths piece. And it's, it's making me very jealous. So so what else has kind of grabbed your attention? I hear there's like a 1990s section or something like that. Yeah, there's this awesome section um, called the 90s, uh, which has been curated by Nicholas Tremblay, um, which, you know, as, as we all know, the 90s are very trendy right now. And they've restaged a bunch of really seminal exhibitions, or maybe not seminal, but um, just kind of touchpoint shows, uh, which include like Wolfgang Tillman's first exhibition at Daniel Buchholz Gallery in 1993. Um, and these photos by Daniel Flum, who it's he really captured like the nightlife scene in Berlin in the early 90s, which is um, when a lot of the dealers that kind of 
you'd know today, potentially um, like Gallery Noy, Neugarim Schneider, um, Esther Schipper and others were, uh, were kind of descending on the German capital after the wall had come down. It's an interesting time um, also, you know, in terms of what we were talking about in the market, um, to look back at this time, because, you know, the, the early 90s were also not a great time in the art market. There'd been a lot of speculation in the late 80s um, and the, you know, kind of 1990 itself um, that fell. Um, and then you had these these art forms like installation art and other um, relational aesthetics, other things that, you know, were kind of expressly non-commercial in their orientation or at least difficult to to sell um, coming out of that. So I think, you know, there's part of me that, that walking through there, it's really fun um, to see. And there's some of the more ambitious, ambitious booths, um, though relatively small at the fair. Um, most of these galleries have a, have another booth at the fair where they're selling a, a wider selection of their artists. Um, but it's kind of nice to look back and see, okay, you know, if, even though people want to make it out to be doom and gloom, maybe this is, you know, ultimately a good thing for art in the end. Maybe we can kind of deal with some of the less great parts about the art world um, while things are on the on the downswing and, and come back out with a lot stronger program in the end. All right. I think that's a great note to leave it on. Alex, we know you're, you're hard at work. Uh, you got to get a sales report done for us. So we'll let you go. Thanks, Isaac. And I'll uh, see you back in New York. Thanks to Alex again for joining us all the way from England. We'll be back to our regular scheduled programming on the next podcast. Please remember to rate and subscribe to us on iTunes. Our producer is Abigail Kane this week, and the theme music is by Broke for Free. See you next time.